For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Welcome to the BritFlix.com podcast. Today I've got with me, oh sorry, my name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got with me Neil West and David Lemon. Good morning. Good, Good morning. morning. Good morning. And how, and how are you on this fine day? Uh, I'm I'm good. I'm very good. Do you want to identify yourself so people know who you are? It's sunny outside. It's all all very pleasant. Yeah. Because I'm talking to two of you. Can you just just for voice recognition for those who haven't been talking to you for the last 10 minutes? (laughs) um, Give us, just say, I am blah, 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 you know? Yeah. Um, I am uh, Neil McHenry West and I'm the director of containment. Okay. Hello, I'm David Lemon, and I'm the writer of Containment. Okay, right. Well, that should help people listening now. Um, do you want to tell us what film we're, we're going to be talking about? Uh, yeah, so we're, we're going to be talking about uh, a feature film called Containment, which is currently in post-production, and it's a psychological thriller. Um, and I'll, I'll let David sort of give you a, uh, a sense of uh, a brief sense of the synopsis and, and what it's about. I shall try and synops- synopsize a word. I don't know if it is, but I'll try and synopsize it. Um, it follows a character called Mark, who's um, an artist. He's a he's a failed artist. He's living in a tower block, and he wakes up one morning and he can't get out of his flat. Uh, and what stopped what initially appears to be perhaps a sick practical joke becomes something much more sinister as he realizes he's by no means the only person who's trapped inside and there's people outside in um, orange hazmat suits something's happening and it's about his discovery alongside his neighbors about exactly what's going on so it's a fairly so the title's fairly uh, fairly uh, like fairly Ronseal, isn't it containment it's fairly, i guess it's a contained movie it is. I mean, yeah, it's. It's. I mean, it's quite on the nose in that sense. But I, I think there's there's other there's other sub sort of subtext to the na- to the title as well, which I think you'll you'll start to get when you see the film. Cool, cool. So starting off with this with the script that you've written, then what what compelled you to write this script? Where did where did the idea start? Um, well, yeah, it's it, it's the original idea was something that um, I came up with in the, the 90s, actually, um, okay. but then only really started working on, again, properly in about 2008. Um, and I, I, 
I don't know exactly where the idea came from. I've always really liked films that are sort of based under siege type thrillers, things that are, are in very contained spaces. Um, and I liked the sort of the idea of, of being of being trapped inside uh, and the voyeuristic aspect of being able to see what's what's going on outside but not really do anything about it. Mm. Um, and David actually came on board in 2009 um, and one of our producers, Christine, introduced us and sent, we sent him the uh, sort of brief synopsis and outline of the story. Mm. Um, or just of the idea, really, and then and then we started working on it from there, and and since then it's been a very, a very collaborative process of sort of developing the characters and the story, uh, and then David's done a brilliant job in actually forming that into a, a, a cohesive screenplay. So that that's that's on my side. David's probably got a different sort of journey. No, no, it was it's, it's pretty much the same. Uh, I would I would corroborate everything that's just been said. Uh, Neil uh, very much came up with the. The concept, and it was sort of really investigating the why, because it felt like, wow, we have a quite an interesting, potentially interesting setup, but mm. obviously setups are, are quite easy, um, especially in thrillers and horrors, to come up with something intriguing, but you have to pay it off in some way that feels mm. uh, logical and satisfying. Mm. And so it became much more about digging into the characters and uh, creating a reason for people being trapped inside there, and you know. A classic thing that everyone does when they write for scripts is, you know, we get halfway through, is so what's going to happen at this point? You know, we, we can all create trailers in our heads for films, but it's, yeah. it's always about what happens, um, how you pay it off in the end, and that was what really we, we kind of kicked around and tried to get um, get working. So yeah, yeah I, th- I mean, I think I think as well as the, the I would say that as well as well as the concept, the thing that certainly really intrigued me from the beginning, and, and it's been through quite a few iterations, but I think this is always um, held within each different version is is the idea of of uh, sort of human nature as a theme, and it was a lot of it was very much inspired by things like Lord of the Flies and things like that. The idea of 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 sort of our innate primitive natures that lie just under the surface, and 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 how how easily it is for the sort of facade of of um, Civilized behaviour to drop when when you're pushed and prodded into extreme circumstances, mm. uh, particularly in a way that the characters don't really understand themselves, so that it becomes a bit of a revelation for them when they start to make fairly dubious moral and ethical choices. And that was always really um, fascinating to me. But uh, but again, it, it was it's something you can take in so many different directions. And I think even. When David and I were kicking it about, we we sort of threw it in multiple different ways before we actually settled on a on a sort of route for the story. Now, as a, as a kind of, as, as a working relationship, and, and and looking, you know, on the credits as it, as it's listed on IMDb, it, it clearly mm-hmm. says you're the director, Neil, and Dave is the writer. Um, mm-hmm. How did how did that process go between sort of you you starting off with the concept and then developing it into a script with with David? I suppose. How did how did that work? Um, well, well, I mean, I was I was very involved in developing the story, but I mean, I, did, I, I never I never wrote a word of the script. The actual the actual script was written by David. That, I, that's something I, I I would never claim to be able to do. It's a, it's a very specific skill, and I'm not a great script writer by any means. Um, but I do like working closely on the story, and I think I think it just we just kind of played about with it, and it was a relationship I think that just fell into place. Very easily, you know, um, that we we would meet regularly and we would kick about 
ideas and then David would take that away and he would form it into something a lot more cohesive and then he'd bring it back and I would sort of feedback almost like a script editor mm. and sort of say oh, I think this is really great I'm not sure this works and then I'd feed my own ideas into it and he would take that away again and do that um, and it just it kind of worked like that so mm. it's I, I'd say it's really hard to tell which aspects of the story uh, I mean, I, I can't think there'd be really much point sort of saying, or oh, this, this aspect this of the story. Was my, oh, this bit oh, no, was no, no, it wasn't. It was no. so collaborative. It was just, it was just like we just, we kind of worked it out. Um, but I think, that, I mean, one thing that David brought, which was really important, was the original story was just going to be one character um, who would communicate with his neighbours through different walls. And, um, and when David came on board, he very much incorporated these these characters that he created into into the story and I think that was a really big breakthrough for it because it was something that wasn't very sustainable in early drafts when it was just one guy alone because you didn't really have the conflict it was yeah. getting it was getting a bit sort of one man on the, sta- on yeah. a, on the stage as it were yeah in exactly. a way exactly. I, mean, I mean just to go back to that it's, it's a really good question actually Stuart about how how people work because there's no sort of wrong wrong or right ways but I think the nice thing was we're both you know, broadly speaking, playing through the same film in our minds. So, in terms of the kind of rewriting process, it wasn't always me um, opening up my piece of script writing software, writing very detailed scenes, taking him to Neil, hoping he liked them, and then going back again. We could literally just kick around bullet points and emails about broad, sort of broad strokes of where the story could go. Go, yeah, let's let's try that out. Let's see if that works. Um, because sometimes I think writers can kind of exhaust themselves by. Uh, just, just overwriting and overthinking, and you know, because we knew this was a film that was going to happen, we very, very much wanted it to be a film that would happen. We were both kind of, um, sort of, aiming for the same target, as it were. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it was, it certainly wasn't, wasn't a question aimed at trying to draw lines as to who did what. It was more. No, no, I mean, no, no, I mean, what no, you said, just, what you said is exactly what I was uh, kind of was interested to hear. I mean, I, I mean, just to, just to, to you, I mean, I, I write myself, so it was always it's when you work with other people, it's it's a it's a very different dynamic. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think it does vary from sort of relationship to relationship. Mm. Uh, and I think I, say, I think certainly for us, in terms of our working relationship, um, we both have similar tastes and similar sensibilities. Mm. Uh, and I think what, uh, this is, I mean, this is just my opinion, Dave may disagree, but I think one of the things which, <laughs> which, which works quite well in our writing relationship, um, our working relationship with David as writer and me as director, is that he is um, his? I think his inclination, quite uh, not always, but but sometimes moves towards something that's sort of more more humorous. And I think my my sort of tendency is to move towards something that's quite quite dark or mm. sometimes a bit bleak. And I think it's quite a nice balance because we kind of counterbalance each other quite a bit. Um, So I kind of, you know, he might come up with something and I say, well, actually, I think that we need to make that a little more, a little more, a little darker, a little more bleak there. And and then at other points he'll be like, "Uh, okay, that's way too bleak. So we kind of, we kind of, we kind of pull each other back from, from extremes, which I think is quite nice. Yeah, not, not every character can quip necessarily. (laughs) Or come up with a a snappy rejoinder when something terrible happens. Yeah, not every character can die horrifically. So it's, it's kind of a good balance. I mean, given given you were saying, you know, you you were you were you were you were seeing you were going to make this movie. Were you were you developing the script with a clear kind of deadline in mind, or, or was it to do with you getting the script finished and then momentum for the film would carry on? Oh God, um, I think the deadline 
drifted inevitably <laughs> quite a lot. Um, I think each year it was like, well, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll push it through and maybe finish it this year. But I mean, it was a long, I mean, filmmaking, uh, for, well, developing a script, I think is always a long process. Mm. Um, you can do it quickly, but I think that's the wrong way to approach it because it, it's one of those things where if you put the time in and you finesse it, you can really get something something good but it, it did take longer than um i think probably either of us anticipated but i think i'm hoping yeah. it's worthwhile yeah worth, worth the wait hopefully but um but no we didn't have a set deadline in mind at any yeah. point it was just sort of let's let's keep working at it and get it done as quickly as we can one one last specific one last specific script question then what would what for, for, for you david i suppose what was um what was what was the hardest challenge that you saw in terms of resolving the storytelling aspect and getting it into a script. In, term, in terms of resolving it, um, I suppose I mean, it's that kind of cliche about know, know your ending and working back from a, a certain point. And I think we both broadly had an idea of who'd who'd be who'd be there in those final parts of the of the script. Sometimes it's working back from that. So that's sometimes a tricky thing to resolve. One of the things which I guess feeds into the directing as well. I kind of naively thought it would be easier to write something that's contained, but having people all trapped in the same room means they all have to be doing something yeah. very often. And they're not, you know, you don't want people just to kind of shut down like robots because the cameras or the, the story's not focused on them. So sometimes it's a question of juggling various people's uh, relationships and making sure that they, they're not just kind of... You know when you sort of see a, sort of a bad soap opera and you cut back to people and they, they're exactly where they last were? Yeah. You know, or, or Scooby Doo, people <laughs> falling from something, and you cut back after the ad break, and they're still falling at the same point. It was kind of avoiding that tendency in the screenplay to make sure characters have moved, even if we haven't seen them, they've moved on in some ways. Mm. So, sometimes it was juggling, and also, I guess, keeping Mark, uh, played by played by Lee Ross in the film, um, at the centre of the story as well, making sure. Um, it, whilst it is an ensemble, it is very much his story. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now in. Um... In the pre, once you've got that script developed, obviously I, I, that, the time that taken that was the time. But then once you move from script to trying to make it into a film, um, mm. the pre-production stages, and I'm thinking here of the like the location you've chosen and stuff. I mean, was was there lots of options? Was was that a dip, was that something you had from the get-go? No, no. In fact, it was one of the hardest um, parts of the pre-production stage. Um, we we didn't anticipate actually that it would be as difficult as it was to find a location. I mean, we we um, we approached all of the London boroughs and we were looking ideally for somewhere that was either um, derelict or sort of scheduled for demolition, hmm. um, so that we had sort of free range to use the the building as we could. But ultimately, hmm. then we 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 would just, we were happy to settle on something that was inhabited, but. It was really difficult to get permission to find somewhere to use in London, uh, and that's when we started looking further afield. And Southampton was somewhere that um, was one of the boroughs that I contacted um, purely because I'd, I'd studied in Southampton, hmm. so I had a kind of vague film connection to there. Yeah, uh, and they and they were really the only place that came up with the, with the goods, and they were amazing from from start. To finish, they were incredibly supportive, and they had a few different options of places we could look at. 
Uh, well, I mean, where we shot was actually inhabited. You know, it was it had it was it was fully inhabited. Um, but wow. they were just really supportive about helping us. I should probably add here for people that haven't seen the the trailer. We're talking about a kind of early nineteen seventies six or seven story tower block type of a building. Yeah. So yeah. So so it's. Um, there's there's four there's four blocks which okay. are uh, which are sort of opposite one another and they're, I think they're about twelve stories they're pretty tall okay. and they're, yeah they're sort of sixties seventies sort of um, architecture yeah and quite br- sort of brutalistic stuff isn't br- it yeah they're brutalist sort of big concrete blocks um, and yeah yeah uh, basically just a big estate but, um, <laughs> no but, no uh, fair enough so so with that with that. If that being one of the big challenges, what what was and that, I mean, how do you get work around a problem like your set being inhabited? Um, it was it was tricky. Um, I mean, we had basically we had two apartments, which we had complete, um, which, which we which we essentially rented for the period of production. Yeah. Um, so we had one we used as a production base, which also doubled for a couple of. Um, a couple of interiors of Enid's flat, and then the other one, which was a ground floor flat, actually, mm. even though it doesn't appear to be in the film, um, was the flat that we used and then redressed as the other character's flat. So at first it's Mark's flat, and then when Mark moves into Sergei, one of the other characters' flats, we completely redressed the whole uh, the whole flat to be a different one. Um, and to be honest, it was surprisingly. Straightforward. Apart from that, uh, the sound wasn't ever a major, major issue. Amazingly, and most of the residents were really, really nice and supportive. Um, so that was that was great. I think the hardest thing we had was trying to film shots of the opposite block and make it look like everyone was sealed inside because people had balconies and they had a tendency to sort of hang out and <laughs> have a cigarette. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Um, I was going to ask about the casting. So with, um, with, with the star of the show, um, Lee Ross, who recently turned up in uh, that brilliant drama The Driver. He did indeed. He did, yeah. yeah. And obviously he's a stalwart of, of various British TV stuff and he's appeared in various various uh, supporting characters in, uh, in in a lot of movies. Yeah. Um, so he's a fairly recognisable face. And so how did you go about casting him? Um, well, he was, he was very much cast in the same way as, as most of them. We had, a, we had a couple of really good casting directors um, who who would organise us some casting calls and we, we, we saw loads of people actually um, and he was like the other cast he was just one of the people that came in that we felt was was really good um, that really delivered on the acting front and also was just you know the, the right look and sort of feel for the character Mark was actually quite a hard one to, to cast to get at someone that was the sort of every man but someone who you could you could sort of buy as a sort of as, as someone and I don't mean this in a, in a bad way to Lee someone that you, you sort of saw and you thought okay I could buy them as someone in their sort of 40s who, who's sort of like a failed artist and, and maybe a sort of the sort of man child kind of character he had mm. that sort of quality 
um, that kind of uh, that kind of playful quality about him that I think yeah, yeah, yeah. help with that. Because you don't want to, you don't want to, don't want to go down the route of the uh, sort of I don't know face stereotypical artist as well, which is kind of because yeah. obviously if you say someone's someone's an artist, you sort of think oh he's going to be a little bit pretentious and do this yeah. and that. And having someone who's a bit more more blokey gave him a kind of it's just another another texture to it, wasn't it? it? Wasn't the kind of absolutely just just going with a stereotype, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And he was, um, you know, and as when he and when he auditioned, he was one of he, you know you you kind of immediately thought, okay, this is someone that that acts for film, and he had that sort of quality where he was able to be quite quite minimal, but hold hold the. Um, Hold the frame, uh, and that was that was really good. Um, can, can you just yeah. can we just go over that there? I mean, you used an interesting expression there that you felt he could act for film, which I'm which I'm guessing is as a differentiation between TV and film, because obviously acting on stage is all very different. But people can mm. often see TV and film being the same. But I think what you're implying there is they are different. So can you expand on that a bit? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think when you're acting, I think really good actors for film are able to to do what appears to be uh, visually very little, but actually, you know, they're actually very sort of minimal in their in their physicality, but they're very good at. Um, Embodying the sort of emotional state of the characters. I mean, it, it, you know, obviously different actors have different different methods. Whether they're coming from a sort of Stanislavski or or Chekhov or whatever. But um, I think I think what what they're really good at, and what certainly the actors in this film were good at, was they they were very much they were they were good at embodying the role and the character. So so Lee Lee when he came in and auditioned, he seemed very still a lot of the time. You know, he didn't feel like he was. Being particularly theatrical, uh, but he really—you could tell that he was embodying the sort of emotional state of the character, mm. and I think that's a real skill that that um, that people that work in film, in particular actors for film, um, are able to to have. It's kind of it's it's kind of a um, it's kind of a bravery, I guess, in performance, just being able to to feel that as long as you're feeling what the character is, uh, you don't actually have to be doing a huge amount for it to be interesting. I mean, we actually filmed. The auditions, um, and it's one of those things where you watch it back on tape, and it's actually even more uh, powerful than it is when you're in the room. Because when you're in the room, sometimes you feel like, okay, there's not actually very much going on. But that's, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, Could you start acting now, please? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I mean, you know, a lot of TV actors, I think, have that as well. But it is, I mean, it's a very different style to theatrical acting, where you're you're really performing to someone who's at the back of the auditorium and and you've you've got to be very physical and and that i think on film just comes across as as being very over the top you know i think that's a really interesting observation though what you're saying about about when you're filming an audition where you can kind of go yeah well is there anything happening here and obviously you're you feel your own presence don't you when you're in the audition yet when you look back at the tape you're then looking at a frame aren't you you're not looking at the whole person in the room yeah exactly (laughs) i think it's um I think it's 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 an interesting phenomenon. I think it's quite a hard thing sometimes for directors to, particularly when they're starting out. I think to sort of take the leap. I, I mean, I remember when I was um, when I used to watch those sort of making of documentaries of of uh, TV shows and films. 
when I in, when I was sort of in uh, in my early twenties, and I remember watching them, thinking, "God, this looks awful." You know, it was you know making us just sort of shot from a distance on a camera, and either people are doing nothing or they're being way over the top. And it's only when you actually you've been doing it for a while you start to realise that actually when you when you see someone's performance sort of you know broken down into a frame that you know it's just their head or just their sort of head and shoulders that actually you lose all the physicality of the rest of their body and you're you're really focused intently on on every tiny nuance and twitch uh and and also in the eyes you know it's always always behind the eyes you can see the emotions and you just don't get that when you're watching it i think in a room because i mean you do to some degree but it's much harder because you're, you've, you've got a lot more sort of barriers and a lot more distance between you and the performer. So I think it is. It's a strange. It's a strange process. But I mean, that, that's 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 why we film the auditions. And I think, I think that's always a really good idea if you can just to film them because it's it's such a different experience. But interestingly I mean, enough, I think what you've just said there is is almost like the reason why we have a director on a film. It's like somebody has to be that has to know what they're looking for. It can't be a kind of by committee, can it? That was that the right performance? Because you have to know what you. Only one person can really know what they're looking for at that point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Uh, and it's um, and it's 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 an interesting relationship, I think, between the director and the actor as well, because I think um, I think I mean I think uh, who was it? It was I mean, it was Jack Nicholson, I think, in in the making of The Shining. He he said um, he made some comment about feeling that when he when he's working with a director, he wants to feel out of control. Um, so that they can be in control, and, and it was it was an interesting comment because I, I I understand it because you, you, if you're thinking about your performance too much, you become very self-aware, and then it, and you, when you become self-conscious, you kind of lose it. Mm. Uh, so you want to be free to sort of do do what you feel in the moment, and I think you do kind of need a, uh, to have that trusting relationship with the director so that they can they can tell you whether it was it worked or not and and also you're just thinking about it in the context of lots of other things you know is is this performance right for this moment in the scene for the character there's 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 all sorts of things to um to take in to take into account i think so what, what, did, so, what yeah. did you think what do you think you learned as a director from working with uh, with lee well i mean i think i think working with all of the actors for this um was was a real eye opener just because I'd, I'd never worked with such a big ensemble. So I mean, okay. um, most of the stuff that I worked have worked on before I had maybe three actors at the most, and it was just it was a really great experience because everyone had very different training and backgrounds, and everyone had very different uh, methods to prepare for the scene and for their roles. Um, and I think just being just being more open to that was probably what I took out most of this. Uh, most more than anything, um, because I, I have a sort of background of training in one specific area, um, and you know, uh, like like Andrew, for example, Andrew who played Sergey in the film. He he's got a real mix of of um, of trainings, which is interesting. But some of them I wasn't as aware of. So I think it's just being open and 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 sort of being open to collaborate more than anything is is the key thing that I took away from it anyway. David, were you were you on set much at all, or all the time, or? Uh, I, I I popped I popped down a number of times and 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 you had a role in it. Um, a minute, yes, yes. Uh, what was my acting approach? I think my, mine was to wear an orange suit and not bump into things. Uh, <laughs> an orange plastic suit, that is. Uh, so no, that was great to go down there. And it's it's always um, an eye as a writer because you suddenly sort of think, blimey, everyone's 
making stuff based on what you've written. And obviously you went through, once the location was, was fixed, there were a few tweaks to drafts and it was almost like we we're being like <laughs> architects going up, no, you can't write that because you can't look from that kitchen through that wall into there. That won't mm. work. Can you change that? You know, just, just sort of like not, not necessarily cr- uh, changing the story, but just changing the the layout yeah and so so that that was that was nice and even even a sort of uh, a relatively small film you've got lots of people trucks props effects um blood things shooting out so so it was it was um an opener that there's uh just so much so many other people working on a, on, a, on a project um and it's you know it's um, my second feature but it's still um Still an eye-opener in that respect. Why, why? But yeah, I was down there. You had to direct me a little bit and say, could you, could you do that again better, I think? <laughs> Out of interest. I mean, it's, it's fascinating that, that, that obviously you, you write a script with the place in mind or with, with that place in mind. You find a location. Then when you're on set, that some of, the, some of the direction that's in the script, not the direction from the director, isn't going to work. Why, 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 why does the script have to change as opposed to you just flex with what's needed or what can be done with the location you've got just as a practical i'm asking that as a practical question not as a um well i think i think when you can change it to avoid uh, when you can change when you can flex to not change the script i think that's always preferable okay. uh, i mean i think i think for this film unfortunately because because it's all it's very contained if you will um yeah. in the one location it's um, it, it was just a, it was just one of those technicalities where we had so little choice because um, the 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 sort of environment was so different, the layout to the way that we would envisaged it. That um, I think if we hadn't changed the script to accommodate it, it would have been one of those things where it just would have got very confusing when we were actually shooting. Um, so that that was that was just a necessity, I think, born out of that situation. Yeah, because yeah. the, the scripts, the, the block of flats in, in the script was always a, a hypothetical block. We had a feeling it was yeah. a 70s type build, yeah. and it would have these certain things, but. Yeah, so it's, it went from being a, uh, an abstract uh, building to a concrete one. So yeah, the changes yeah. just needed to be made, so it would it would make sense and that the story would still play. That we wouldn't be kind of making shortcuts just because it's easier and missing out on beats of the story. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that was actually I think probably one of the, probably the hardest thing of the whole shoot actually just the fact that the the geographical layout was so different to what um, what we'd anticipated when when we were working on the story that it, it, it did become, particularly with a performance sometimes, it just became very confusing. <laughs> um, but it was, uh, but no, yeah, it was, it was something we just had to sort of play about with. But David was great because David was always on hand so that, you know, when we were sort of in pre-production or even in production, I could just sort of call up and say, you know, okay, there's a, there's a problem here, I need help. <laughs> um, which did happen. Can you give, can you give uh, an anecdotal example there, an anecdote of... of of any of a real example where that happened, where you had, I'm guessing you're talking about, um, you describe a scene as you know going through a door here, running through a corridor there, or something mm. like that, and then when you get there, you go, hold on a minute, that's the kitchen. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I guess probably the most dramatic time that that happened was about a week and a half before we went into production. Yeah. David came in, David came into the production offices one afternoon and evening, and 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 he and I and. Pete and Casey, uh, to the producers, we just all sat around for the afternoon and evening 
um, while da- poor David was sort of sort of hunched over a, a keyboard, <laughs> and we were just trying to figure out logistical issues because because one of the one of the big things of the story is because because the characters are neighbours, uh, the way that and they're locked into their flats, um, the way that they sort of team together is by breaking through the dividing walls, mm. and originally we had the layout as being uh, one flat next to another, sort of in a line, but because because we were using a real flat. Um, that we couldn't break down the walls for. We we um, we were sort of putting in fake walls where we could, and we were having to sort of rework the logistics of where the holes were. And that was just a nightmare. Because we were thinking, well, it can't be in this room because you're going to see that in the background of these scenes, and we can't really fake it there because we have to shoot it all from a particular angle. And you know, we could stick it in the bathroom where it's out of shot, but uh, outside. But that might just be. You know, and it was just those kind of conversations. We spent an evening thinking, okay, how can we make this work logically? And then, as David said earlier, it'd be one of those things where you'd think, oh yeah, okay, we cracked it now. And then someone would say, actually no, but what about what about when the characters come in here? You're going to see that, and they're like, oh Christ, okay, back to the drawing board. And it was it was kind of like that, really. It was, it was almost like a game of Tetris, wasn't it? it yeah, it, it literally was. It was it was kind <laughs> yeah. of ridiculous, but um, but yeah, one of those things you had to go through. Now, again, for people that have seen the trailer you'll, you, and you've talked about it, the idea of the, and the film being contained, you've got people in hazard suits walking around in the grounds of, uh, of, of a block of flats. Obviously, this yeah. is an image now that's, that's quite current um, with the Ebola outbreak. Yes. I mean, are you, is there a kind of like a race here to get your film out? Not that, not that, this, this is me not knowing anything about the extended plot of the film, and that isn't a spoiler. I'm just sort of going quick, strictly off the look, and, the look from and getting from the trailer and what I've been bombarded with in the news of late. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is a, it's something we've been actually just sort of actively discussing because it is um, obviously um, um, sort of being overtaken by a sort of real-world... Horrific events, yeah. and you're sort of quite uh, mindful of that. But yeah, it, it, it does seem like you're sort of turning on the TV and sort of seeing all the like rushes from the film um, <laughs> yeah. horribly, you know. And it's, it's you know, at no point have we gone, oh, you know, yay publicity or anything like that, because it's because it's such, such you know it's such a, a real world appalling thing that's happening. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 kind of strange for us, I think, it, because it because it is such. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just such a coincidence. You know, it's pure it, uh, that it's it, it's the kind of question that people keep um, keep saying to us. They keep saying, "Oh, you know, is this, uh, you know." I mean, I think I think that's what, anyone that's sort of not involved in the film. You know, they sort of they they, they forget the length of time that they don't know the length of time it takes place. Like, we just oh, knocked it out over the last week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've had a couple of people say to me, "Did you do this sort of deliberately?" And it's like, "No, no, we've been we've been working on this for five years." So the Ebola. <laughs> Outbreak wasn't wasn't a big issue back then. Yeah, yeah. You, you and Nostradamus are a couple of chances, eh? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, even even there was swine flu, and there are sort of yeah, there was something. You know, there was a I don't know. Mm. There were there was there's, there are sort of those images prior to our, uh, us, us making the film as well. So you know, yeah, it, does, it is meant to reflect on the world. Though obviously, you know, you can't. You wouldn't wish this at all. It's awful. Yeah, but it is. It is strange though because yeah. I mean, our producer Casey, she said, she said. Um, in fact, we were having a production meeting a couple of weeks ago, and she suddenly noticed that on the TV behind us they had images of the virus, and it and it did. I think it, I think it did actually have a bunch of people in orange hazmat suits. Oh no, just, it does yeah. No, that's what that's what sorry. that's what freaked me out when I first watched your trailer. Yeah, yeah. No, it. I mean, it is. It is. It is weird. It is. It is. It does. 
it's uncomfortable and it's kind of strange but um, but yeah but purely coincidence but um I mean, what was what was kind of? Can we talk about sort of big influences? Because I mean, I mean, no, though, though obviously, what transpires is very different. But I, I made it made me think about um, Cronenberg's first film, say Shivers, which obviously mm, uses yeah. the. I mean, with that, that's pure modernism. It's saying these dense buildings and you'll be containing stuff and things anyway, yeah. and, and bad things might happen as a result. Um, but what was what, what was the what was your influences there on the film? Um, well, I mean, I'm just I, speaking for myself. I love Shivers. I think Shivers yeah. is a brilliant film, and that mm. that was that was certainly one of the films I thought about. That mm. things like that and the thing, um, these kind of contained environments. Um, yeah, I mean, we talked. David and I talked. We talked a lot about the the building because the building was really important. You know, we were, we we talked about brutalism a lot and the sort of architectural. Design and, and the sense that these people are just, you know, a, a bit like high rise as well. Ballard's, mm. JG Ballard's high rise, that sense that you're just sort of blocked into this piece of concrete. Yes. As, and, and the sort of effects that that has on you. I don't know what you were thinking about that when we were doing it, because I know we had a lot of conversations. No, absolutely. I think I think those are both uh, sort of uh, references we were, we were talking about with things like JG Ballard and, and, and Cronenberg and those. Stories of people piled on top of each other, so yeah. it already feels like quite a quite a tense, potentially tense space mm. already. Um, so, so yeah, that was that was definitely an influence. Yeah, and, and, it, and it certainly come, it certainly worked its way into the film. I mean, the building. I, I don't want to sound horrendously pretentious and say that the building was a character, but the building was you know was a big um, a big part of the atmosphere of the film, and it's it's quite a foreboding. Environment to be trapped within. I think. I was going to say it'd be, a shame, it'd be a shame if it. I don't think it's pretentious. It'd be a shame if it didn't, because if you're going to make us be as an audience living there, you know, through through the through the actions of um, of Lee's character, then I think it it inevitably would do. Because I get the impression from from the trailer that we're going to spend a lot of time trapped there. You know, yeah, looking, looking yeah. out of a window at, at, at what is developing below and trying to work it out. You know, and that, yeah. that, that makes the building very important. And I guess from a, from a cinematic point of view, all those geometric lines, are they, are they a joy or are they a burden? Because, you know... Oh, no, God, that, that, was, an absolute, that was an absolute joy. And that, that was part of the, um, part of the attraction in mm. terms of the, the way we'd approach the cinematography. I mean, Arthur, Arthur the cinematographer, and I, we, we, talked, uh, we talked a lot about the, 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 the way that the film... Um, as the film develops, you know, you've got this group of characters whose whose relationships are sort of disintegrating as they're sort of thrown together and they start to sort of fight against one another and form little sort of um, sort of factions. Yeah. And um, and as that's happening, you've you you know you've got the, the building is literally crumbling. You know, I mean, I mean, it's not collapsing, but you know, it's being torn apart. So mm. the building kind of becomes a metaphor for what's going on with the, the characters and the idea of, of the, the look of the film starting quite normal, but then as it turns to night, you get a lot of sort of chiaroscuro kind of lighting and extreme abstract, almost kind of German expressionist feel to the building and mm. the way the building shot becomes uh, much more extreme. Uh, that, was, that was great. That was great to sort of be able to use a landscape to sort of emphasise the characters' sort of psychological states, I think that was um, that was one of the one of the big attractions to it, and also just being really high up. It's mm. just that sense of vertigo and disorientation. I think is really 
is really nice for characters when they're in this kind of extreme situation. So yeah, no, it was fun. It was good fun. It was good fun. That because was I mean, fun. thinking Enjoy. about it, I mean, you know, although these buildings are now kind of forty years old, it didn't take yeah. long within their within their life cycle for people to realise that even even without anything going on outside that locks you in. A lot of people ended up being isolated and stranded <laughs> simply by being on the twelfth floor. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, that's kind of, I guess, exemplified by by Sheila Reed's character Enid. Yeah, who, I think I think I can't remember now, but I can't remember my own script. It's been so long. No, but there's I think it's a line which she says about it being homes for heroes, and she's obviously been there since it was built. Yeah. Is the implication, and she's a rather sort of. Um, well, she's kind of a busybody, but you kind of get, I think, more empathy for her as the story progresses. Mm. But she exemplifies exactly what you're saying about, about people feeling feeling isolated because that sense of community's uh, been taken away. Yeah, Indeed. definitely. Now, you said you're in post-production. What stage are you at with it? Uh, so we, we locked the picture about a week and a half ago, I think. Congratulations. Uh, so at the moment, we're doing uh, sound design and music and uh, there's some effects going on in the background as well. And then we're hoping to uh, do the final mix and grade around January time. Okay. Yeah, so we're sort of in the last, the last stages, as it were. Um, but, yeah, we were, we, we were editing from, I think, from sort of the end of April, beginning of May, up until about a week and a half ago. So that was, that was the big bulk. What, 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 when, when was the shoot and how long was it? The shoot was in was over April and May, and it was just three weeks, oh, so well. it was um, pretty tight. Yeah, yeah. No, and what's was, what's the was... plan when when you've when you've finished with post? So in, in spring next year, what's mm-hmm. the plan? Is is it to get containment into festivals? Is it to get yourself sales and distribution and try and get it out there via the various platforms that are now available, or even get it into theatres? Um, well, for festivals are certainly one aspect of it. Um, I know that the producers are, are looking into sales and distribution, and they're having all those sort of conversations at the moment. I think I think Dave and I have, have, have um, you know, logically sort of stayed out of that to some to some degree. I mean, I've been focusing the edit and, and yeah. And uh, my, my my work is pretty much pretty much done, so I'm just a, feeling like a punter, you know, just, just watching. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was lucky enough to see a a, a pitch lot cut with sort of some of it that yeah. you know, sort of ninety five percent there, and it's looking really good. So mm, yeah, um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I I'm not sure what the exact game plan is, but I know that um, I, we have talked a lot about festivals and obviously sales and distribution and, and the different platforms are something that producers are, are looking at, mm. but um, I mean, it'd be great to get a, um, a theatrical release, obviously, but that that's always, that's sort of like the holy grail, that's always quite mm. tricky um, and depends on figures and the like, so... Uh, yeah, I'd have to leave that to the producers, really. So sorry, that's a, that's a bit of a sort of a non-answer. I'm no, afraid. no, it's a very, it's a very, very, it's a very, very, very revealing answer. You know, in terms of you know what happens, there isn't the, what you're mm. saying is there's no there's no definite at this stage because nobody said there is, and you yeah. know people are working on it. So and that's their role. So that's that tells us everything we need to know about how a film sort of gets its way to market. And it, I mean, I mean, having seen, having followed Fright Fest, for example, quite closely. Yeah, um, and I'm working with um, Johnny Kevorkian. He disappeared, which is a. And have you ever seen that one? That's a ghost story set on a, set on a similar kind of estate, using yeah. that as okay. a haunted house. And you had the Forgotten at Fright Fest this year, which was I think they used somewhere off. They did actually get a place that was condemned for demolition. 
Oh, right, okay. Um, so again, you know, it's a kind of it's because I think in 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 British culture, it's fairly it's fairly you know it's a fairly unique image because if you go and look at the sort of the architecture, if you go to the south of France, where a lot of this architecture sort of breathed properly, mm. you get that sunny, you know, close to the Mediterranean world, and that white concrete looks beautiful. Well, when you when you when you're in wet, wet and dreary, it's England, streaky and horrible. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. It just doesn't have the same appeal. Mm. And I think it's something. You know, and like like it's been there for you know it's forty years in the making now, isn't it? As a as part of our landscape. And it's lost yeah. none of its brutality. In fact, it just looks... It, it, I guess when you use the word streaky, it kind of looks more miserable than it ever did. Mm. No, abso- absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, I have to say, I've got a real love-hate um, uh, relationship with sort of brutalist architecture. I do... I, I, think it's in, I think it's simultaneously incredibly ugly, but I find something uh, really beautiful and bizarre about it but I don't know I can't quite put my finger on, on what it is like, like you know like a lot of the um, you know the kind of Barbican style kind of buildings yeah. around London and the um, the Erno Goldfinger buildings I think they're they're fascinating they kind of look like an episode of night of, of UFO from, yeah from sort of but I think but I think those those are examples where they're in areas that that you haven't just sort of thrown people out to the edges of town and built big towers that's where brutalism yeah. has took hold and it's yeah, become, it's beca- I mean, Tronic Tower, I guess, is the one that was mm. was was horrible, and now it's listed. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. A real, it's a real desirable residence. Aren't yeah, it? yeah, you, yeah, people want to live there. Tronic Tower, uh, yeah. in a, in a yeah, yeah. In wildest dreams, but yeah, it was so yeah. horrible. Is it say Ian Fleming uh, named his villain after the architect? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's uh, what one. So, so we can look forward to more news from about the film in 2015, and and I'll certainly be in touch with Roland about making sure we get news of that out on Britflix. Okay, great. Um, and so, one last question for you guys: um, What British film would um, would you think deserves more kudos or more attention? Uh, that can be a classic movie, or it can be a new one that you think people might not have seen yet or need to draw attention to. Okay, well, well, my choice is, um, whilst the director's obviously had lots of kudos since, I think this is probably a slightly overlooked um, entry in his kind of uh, body of work, is a 1999 film, A Room for Ramia Brass. Okay. Uh, Shane, Shane Meadows' second film, which I think is a, a sort of fantastic collision of uh, social realist comedy, and but at the same time it takes, takes quite a sort of dark and horrific turn. I mean, Paddy Considine... Uh, it's absolutely mesmerising in it. I believe it was his first uh, feature performance. I could be wrong on that, but he. No, I think it was. Um, I think it was his arrival, wasn't it, on the big screen? Pretty much, yeah. But he's he's, he's sort of, if, you, if you've seen the film, he's this wonderfully sort of cartoonish figure of ridicule, but then just turns on the dime into the most frightening character you could ever wish to meet. And um, Frank Harper, who's often sort of a sort of hard man of Brit flicks, is as a wonderfully sort of nuanced role where he gets to play for once play a good guy, but I think it's just um, a really, really compelling uh, film, which is um, often um, overlooked in favour of, you know, Dead Man's Shoes, which is also great, and um, This Is England, which is obviously brilliant as well, but A Room from Red Brass, I think, is um, an overlooked gem. Oh, good shout. Um, and for my choice, I would say, I don't know if this counts as a British film, but uh, it's got a British director, and it's uh, the film Birth, with Nicole Kidman, uh, and it's a Jonathan Glazier film, uh, and I think that's um, 
I, I just think it's brilliant. I think it was, um, I think it was critically really mixed, and it certainly wasn't commercially very big when it came out. He's just he's just produced. Um, I can't remember the name of the Scarlett Johansson movie. What's oh, Under the Skin. Under the skin. Yeah, he's he's just produced Under the Skin, but um, I think Birth was his his last film before that. And it's I I just think it's a brilliant um, it's a brilliant story. He's he, it's a there's a real sort of Kubrickian um, film. I, I, I don't even know how to describe it really. I mean, it's I mean essentially it's just about a boy who believes that he's the reincarnated husband of. Uh, Nicole Kidman, who died several years earlier, but it's um, everything from the sound design to the visual design to the characterization. I just think is is sublime, and I think it, um, yeah, I think it's hugely underrated. Okay, well, that's one I've not seen. I've seen Room for Romeo Brass, but it's it's one that you, I think you're right. It's one that gets often gets overlooked for some of the headline grabbers. So thank mm. you for those two movies. Um, oh, oh, sorry, and I'd also say go uh, say I'm just going to shamelessly plug Lilting as well, which has got good reviews, but it's um, it's got Andrew Lung in it, who's um, who's in um, who's in Containment, and um, I, the bits I've seen for that look amazing, and that it's also got Ben Wishaw in, um, but but that's that's one I was hoping to see by now, but I haven't had a chance yet. But it does look it does look really really good. I don't know if you've seen that. But I've that's not. Okay. No. It's getting a bit of attention, but um, I suspect that deserves quite a lot of attention. Nice Sorry, that's a bit shameless, we'll, we'll but there you take, go. <laughs> we take that. That's, there's nothing shameless about that. Uh, well, look, good <laughs> luck with the rest of the post-production and getting the film out there. We look forward to it finding its audience and everything. And that's hopefully, correct. maybe we can uh, get you back on at a later date. Thanks very much, Lovely. Stuart. That was great talking to you. Indeed. Thanks again. Thank you. Cheers. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.